Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. You know, think about what we just sang. He talked about the greatness of our God. Talk about he's so great that he calls the stars out by name and he's sovereign over all of creation. And then this great, amazing God has bore the weight of all your sin on himself. So what's our response? There's no other response. I surrender all, right? And, um, and that's why you're here tonight is because hopefully you've surrendered all to Jesus Christ. As we um, dig into the word, I want us, first of all, to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And in response to what we've just sang, if there's an area in your life that maybe has not been surrendered, an area of your heart that has not been offered to the Lord. Would you do it right now? Lord, we acknowledge that you are our great God. We acknowledge that you're the one who not only calls the stars out by name, but you and your sovereignty call us out by name. And you called us and wooed us and drew us to yourself. And I'm so thankful that by faith we said, yes, I do. I will follow you. I surrender all. And so, Lord, that's our heart, not just once, but, Lord, every day we're told to present ourselves a living sacrifice to you. And so, Lord, all over again tonight we say, I do. Yes, I surrender all. You alone are worthy. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for what this night represents and for the the men and families that are um, presenting themselves here to serve as deacons of this church. And what an awesome responsibility and joy and celebration tonight is. Please bless it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'm so glad that you're all here tonight, and it is a very special night. What we're doing tonight goes all the way back to the first century church, where the early church set deacons apart to serve in the church and serve the church. And so we're following that same tradition as we're setting aside um, 12 men for the deacon um, ministry. Now, in our church, what we try to do is every time we ordain deacons, I always try to teach a little bit different aspect of the ministry of the deacon um, ministry to our church. And so tonight, I want to do the very same thing. And what I'm going to talk about tonight is really delegation. Whether you realize or not, the, the principle of delegation is a biblical principle. If you really want things done God's way, then the way that has to happen is through delegation. It's been said that there's three ways you can get something done. One is do it yourself. Two, hire somebody else to do it. Or three, tell your kids no, and then they will do it. Actually, no, that's, none of those are good. The best way is actually delegation. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He said, I'd rather get 10 men to do the job than to do the job of 10 men, right? Some of us feel like, man, I'm doing the job of 10 men, and that's the wrong way. Most of you have probably heard of Henry Ford, right? I mean, the Ford Motor Company is one of the titans of American industry. Whenever he developed the the Model T and they were selling Fords, he had 75% of the market share. 
But he had one huge character flaw, and that was he wanted to be in control of it all. He didn't know how to delegate. He was a micromanager. He um, was the kind of guy that he even had spies in his company that would spy out on his managers to make sure they weren't making decisions without him, right? In fact, he actually turned against some of his brightest and sharpest designers, and they went away to other companies. Now, the company, after about 25 years of that, was going bankrupt, and it probably would have gone bankrupt if he hadn't died. Think about it. it. We would probably not know of the Ford Motor Company today if the guy hadn't died. Why? Because he was a guy that just couldn't seem to delegate. Well, it's not just true in businesses. It's true in churches. You see that sometimes. Sometimes whenever a pastor dies or a pastor leaves, you know, what often happens? That church often dies. You go, why? Because they made too much of a person and they didn't really understand this principle that we're going to talk about tonight. I mean, it's, you may remember the old um, um, commercial about you know, how to kill ants. They said this, what do you do? You bring poison and you take it to the queen ant. And when the queen dies, the whole bed dies, right? Well, that's the way a lot of churches are. A lot of churches are when the pastor dies or moves on. Well, well, the church dies. And there's 3,500 churches that die every year and shut their doors in the United States of America. And so how, does, how do you move beyond a person or just a, a few people to really the body of Christ? Well, the principle, the biblical principle is what we're going to talk about today, delegation. And we're going to see this throughout scriptures. We're going to look at the very beginning of the nation of Israel with Moses And then we're going to look in the New Testament at the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And so you find this principle in both Old Testament and New Testament. So jot down a few principles that we're going to talk about this tonight. The very first thing I want you to think about is the problem. And the problem that we have is limited leaders. I mean, every church seems to have a problem, and that is we don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough people that are really, you know, taking leadership. It's it's been said everything rises and falls on leadership, right? Well, that's a problem that almost every organization has. We don't have good leaders. Now, there's two reasons why a lot of churches don't have good leaders, and it's because they bought into a lie. And here's the first lie. Jot this down. Only I can do this. Only I can handle this. And that's going to lead to burnout. Well, that happens to be where Moses was at in Exodus chapter 14. God had called Moses. God had equipped Moses. He'd met with Moses on the mount. He'd given Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments. He was there with the people, and Moses thought that he was the only guy that could do it until his father-in-law said, hey, you know what? This isn't right. Check it out. Look at this passage, amazing passage in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. Let's read this together. The Bible says, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people And they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as judge while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Here's Moses' response, verse 15. Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I make the decision between one man and another. I teach them God's statutes and laws. Well, Jethro wasn't impressed. Look what he said. What you're doing is not good. Moses' father-in-law said to him, you will certainly wear out both yourselves and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. 
He says there's going to be two results. One, Moses, you're going to burn out, and the other is the people are going to get fed up with you, hanging around you and waiting on you all the time. Now, is it admirable that Moses feels like he's he got to take responsibility, got to work these long hours from early morning to late at night, and he feels responsible? You know what? God gave me the Ten Commandments. I've got to be the one that teaches the people. Hey, that's great. But the fact is, is that it was going to lead to burnout, and it would have. Um, it's good advice. It's good advice for not only Moses, it's good advice for us as well. You may recognize this guy right here. He was Neil um, Rudenstein. He was the president of Harvard University. Um, many times, whenever you're a university president, one of the major tasks that you have is raising money. Rudenstein was excellent at it. He raised a million dollars a day for Harvard University. And the reason why is because he worked incredibly long hours. He was really conscientious. He um, had a personal touch in everything that he did. He would spend, you know, at least 12 hours a day in his demanding job. But then, but then he would fret over, you know, the menus at the banquets. He would, um, you know, debate and, and argue with different, you know, medical people on the $15 copay. He would write personal notes to his football Players, football coaches, editor of the school, newspaper, dorm house, mothers. And then one day he overslept from work. And he just couldn't get out of bed. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, you have severe fatigue and exhaustion. The directors of the school said, you know what? We're going to give you a little leave of absence. You, You return when you can. Well, he didn't return in seven days. He didn't return in seven weeks. He didn't return in seven months. Why? Because he had burned himself out. That's just a simple reality. Many of you are football fans may remember the, the great running back Earl Campbell. He's one of the greatest running backs of all time. Um, he had a short career, but he ran over 10,000 yards. He was the kind of guy that, you know what, he would just run over people. His um, coach, Bum Phillips, had really one play, hand it off to Earl and let him do his thing. The only problem is, because that was all they ever did, his career was very short. Um, today, here's a picture of Earl Campbell. He can't walk. He's in a wheelchair. He's been in the wheelchair since he was 50 years old. Why? Because he burned himself out doing it all by himself. Well, what's true of any sports business, it's also true in ministry. The truth is, is that there's a never-ending need of people all the time. There's always another visit to make. There's always another call to make. There's always another, you know, you know, Bible study prepare for, a card to write, another email to answer. Always. And I remember when I was in college, I heard people say, well, I'd rather, you know, burn out than rust out. Well, the fact is, is you're still out, right? And, um, and, and, I, and I realized something. It was probably 15 years ago while I was here, and I was getting close to burnout here. And, um, and I'm, it was just running like crazy. And I read a, book, a leadership book, and the guy asked a simple question that I really took to heart. He said, can you keep at this pace long term? And I thought for a second, you know, I can, I can keep at this pace that I'm on right now, but I can only do it for probably three or four more years. Can I do this long term? And the answer was absolutely not. And I knew then, 15 years ago, I've got to make some choices. I've got to make some decisions. I've got to learn to start delegating. And what's interesting is that's exactly what Moses was told as well. And so the first thing is, is the lie why we don't have leaders is because, you know, only I can do it. Well, that's just a flat lie, isn't it? The other um, lie is this. 
only the leader, only the leader is good enough for me, right? Only this leader, only that pastor, only this person is good enough for me. And, of course, that's a lie as well. See, you know, just like a leader may say, only I can do this, which is a lie. The other side is, is that for the congregation to then go, well, we know you can't see everybody, but we're the exception, right? We know you can't see everybody, but I think you're going to want to see me, or we need you to, to do this. And, and, you know, the fact is, is that's what was happening in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, you had the apostles, and they were trying to do it all, and what was happening? Well, the result was neglect, neglect of the people. Look at how it's written. It's in Acts, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God to serve tables. Now, you notice the word neglect there twice? The widows were being neglected, and the apostles were saying, hey, we can't neglect the word of God. They realized something. We've got all this stuff to do, And if we do this, the word of God's going to be neglected. If we do this with the word of God, the widows are going to be neglected. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Well, obviously, God wants the widows to be taken care of. Yeah. But God also wants, hey, the word to be preached. And so the apostles said, you know what we've got to do? (laughs) We cannot neglect the word of God. Now, you understand as a pastor teacher here that my primary responsibility is teaching the Word of God. That's my primary responsibility. Now, do I meet with a number of people and counsel throughout the week? Most definitely. I do. But those half dozen people or a dozen people that I meet with or visit every week, they cannot take the priority of the 4,000 people that I speak to every weekend. They can't. Why? Because if I neglect the word of God, then what happens is, is the whole church is affected wrongly. I've shared this before. The second church I served in, I was the associate pastor, and the senior pastor was an amazing pastor. I mean, he was a people kind of person. He was always there. I mean, he was always at the hospital. He was always, you know, at every party, you know, at every baby, you know, event, every, um, you know, small group event. You know, the guy was there. He was available. And everybody loved him because, you know what, the guy was incredibly available, you know. And I loved him for the same reason. But he neglected something. And what did he neglect? He neglected the word of God. And I can remember every Sunday I'd be sitting in the pews. And I'd be bored to tears. And I'd go, ah. Oh, and I'd look around, literally, I'm not joking. I'd look around and go, why are you here? They pay me to be here. I don't understand why you guys are here. Because I would go someplace else. Because this is just ridiculous. You know, here's the thing. He loved the people. He served the people well. But there was no life change in that church. Transformation was not happening. Do you know why? Because he neglected the word of God. And that's what the apostles saw. They go, okay, what what are we going to do here? Widows are going to get neglected. The word of God's going to get neglected. We cannot neglect the word of God. And so what was Moses' solution? What was the apostles' solution? It is the biblical solution. What is it? Jot this down. The solution is delegation. Solution is delegation. 
okay, you appoint somebody else to do this. It's not like the job's not going to get done. Okay, it's going to get done. It's just going to get done by other people. And so we see it in the Old Testament with Moses. Look at it, Exodus chapter 18, verse 21. But you should select from all the people able men. And then he describes what these able men are looking like. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten the load. And Moses does it. And guess what? Moses doesn't burn out, does he? Um, You know, I learned a long time ago that the church cannot be about me. And that if I want the church to grow, then I've got to let go of control and delegate and pass on the leadership. So I have a number of amazing pastors that help do this and deacons that do this and small group leaders that that are involved and many of you leaders of ministry. And the fact is, is the church of Silverdale Baptist Church is what it is. Why? Because of the principle of delegation of leadership and just letting it go and letting God go through the leaders of this body. And I love hearing some of the amazing stories because of that. Um, we, we have a lady in our church. Her name is Faith. And um, Faith is one of our senior adults. And um, Faith... Oh, in the last year or so, had sort of just slipped away and had stopped coming to church. But then she got sick, and she had to go to the hospital. And she had major stuff going on, and for almost two weeks, she was in the hospital every day. And so, amazing thing happened. Every day, one of our deacons came and visited her, every day. After a week of that, um, her sister, who lived out of town came to church one Sunday, came to me after the service and says, you just got to know, I am so impressed. This is a huge church, and yet every day one of your deacons comes and visits my sister, and I know she ain't been in church in a year, you know? And she goes, I just had to be at a church that was like that. And the next Sunday, Faith was with her sister. They sat literally in the front row. For the last four weeks, Faith comes to me every Sunday, tells me what's going on, and her, she says, my sister's still listening to the podcast online and at her place, and um, here's the amazing thing. I didn't visit Faith in the hospital one time, not once. That was our deacons. You know, I, I just got another message of a person who was near death, no faith, been in the hospital for and in rehab for almost two months now, had gotten a visit from a deacon every day. Her sister just texted me before the service and said, it is a miracle. He is um, desiring to, to know more about Christ. And whenever he gets out of rehab completely, he's going to be at church. Why? Because of you. Because the deacon ministry. Do you understand? If you have one person that tries to do it, or even just a few that try to do it, it's not going to get done. It is is delegation. And God just says, unleash the church and let it go. Right? That's what God does. Uh, I mean, I think about our church and what God is doing, the impact. It's all because We're delegating and releasing leadership and letting you, not just deacons, not just pastors, but all of you serve in incredible ways. I mean, this weekend, I don't know, we'll probably have 700, 800 people that will be in Serve the City. 
I just had somebody from the radio station say, can you come by tomorrow? We want to interview you because we're so impressed at what your church is doing in the city this Saturday. That's you, right? That's what the church is doing, right? Um, tomorrow night, my wife and I are going to be at the best of the best. And our church won again 11 years in a row. Can I just tell you, that's not me. That's you. That's how this works. I mean, that's what God is saying. God is saying, you follow my principles and unleash the church and watch what I will do in this city. Right? That's what God's doing. And so that's what happened in the Old Testament. Well, that's what happened in the New Testament too. Okay, look at it. Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, hey, you know what? We can't do all this. What are we going to do? Look at it. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. They said, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles, the elders, they delegated that ministry. And what happened? That's really where the deacon ministry came from, Acts chapter 6. And so what I want to do um, tonight is I want to give you real briefly... What do our deacons at Silverdale Baptist Church do? What does their service look like? Let me just give you four of the major things they do. I mean, I've put it on your outline. Number one is they ministry to senior adults, widows, or homebound. Every one of our deacons has two homebound or widows. And they are to be contacting them on a regular basis and visit them and minister to them. Why? Because our widows are individuals that we cannot neglect. And the homebound. Second thing is, is deacon on-call ministry visits. As I've already mentioned, every day there is a deacon on call. And that deacon goes to the hospitals and visits in the hospitals and visits in the funeral homes. Third thing that our deacons do is new member luncheons. Um, we have new members that join our church, and we're a huge church, and they're like, ah, what do, how do we really fit in all this? Well, after the new members class, they have a lunch with a deacon, and that deacon and you know, his wife or whomever, their family, tries to encourage them and help them plug in to this church. Fourth thing that our deacons do is they serve the Lord's Supper. There's four or five times a year that we will do, you know, all campuses, everybody's doing communion. I mean, can you imagine? It's a big task, 4,000 people getting served communion in a weekend. And yet, that's what our deacons do. It's all hands on deck, and they do it. Well, tonight, we have 12 men that we are setting aside as a church for the office of deacon. Um, I'm going to read their names. You saw in the bulletin who they were. Um, Barry Akins, Mark Davis, Matt Eyshide, Mike Fisher, Caleb Heath, Brian Hundley, Christian Leonard, Dean McKinney, Dwight Morgan, Luke Osmond, Josh um, Schoening, and Nick Winkler. Now, these are individuals that you nominated Myself and the pastors examined. They were also examined by our deacons. And then once they followed and uh, met the qualifications, they were then approved by you as a church. So what do we do? We followed the biblical examples and said, we've got to share this responsibility and share this leadership. And that's why we ordained deacons. Now, these deacons met the qualifications. I'm going to have Travis come, and he's going to share what those qualifications are. Welcome, Travis. <laughs> I was thinking um, when, um, Tony, you were talking about that principle um, that you read in that book about um, if you can't do it long term, then we need to do something. I remember I'd been here, we need to change something or figure out something. I remember you 
passing that on to me. I was here about a year or two, and you were saying that, and I've heard you say it several more times, and it's impacted me. Um, and it's true. We have so far looked at the problem, right? Limited leaders. Um, we looked at the solution, delegation, all right? Now we're going to look at the qualifications, all right? Bottom line is um, we know we got to delegate, but you can't just delegate to anyone. It matters who you delegate to. For example, I was thinking about this. If you were to come up to me and delegate to me the task of watching a stack of Oreos, it, w- it wouldn't be that wise. I might think I could do it. You might even examine me, and I could convince you that I could do it, but I'm telling you, if you were gone long enough, the, di- the, the Oreos would be eaten, right? So it matters who we delegate to, and in um, 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, 8 through 12, we are given the qualifications of a deacon. Who can be a deacon? Who is qualified to be a deacon? We get um, eight characteristics, and I'm just going to walk through them kind of rapidly. If you miss one of these qualifications, you are not qualified to be a deacon at this time. It doesn't mean in a future time you might be qualified, but at this time you are not. Now, once again, Tony's already alluded to this, but I want to say this clearly before we look at these eight qualifications to be a deacon. There is this pervasive view in churches in general that um, if you are not maybe a deacon or a pastor, then you are not fit to be a leader. That is not true. If you're a member of this church, you're a leader and you're to serve. So we all do that. But specifically, when it comes to the office of deacon, we are given eight characteristics. So Let's walk through them and see what the Apostle Paul tells us first. We get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 8. It says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Four qualifications in this one verse. Let's walk through them. First one, it says, they are to be dignified. They're to be dignified. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, it means they're to be respectable. It's someone that you admire, someone that you look up to, someone that I would say you would desire to be like. There is no overarching defect in their life. It's um, kind of like described in Hebrews 13 that uh, it's a leader who you can imitate, Someone who you look at and you say they do things that I would like to imitate or I would like to be like. I can follow them. Maybe you see their marriage and you say, man, I want to have a marriage like their marriage. Maybe you see their faithfulness to church. Maybe you see their faithfulness in serving and you think to yourself, I would like to serve like they do. They're people that we respect. And we all know it's true that we tend not to listen to or to follow those whom we do not respect. If you desire to be a deacon in God's church, then you have to have respect. So that's the first qualification. Then Paul goes on and he says, two, not double-tongued. We don't really use that language, double-tongued. So so what does that mean? Once again, I would kind of um, sum it up and say they're to be sincere. 
And they have to be a sincere man. Amen. You see, a deacon is a person who loves people, serves people, cares about people. And they've got to have a sincere heart. They've got to be genuine. When they meet somebody and they tell that person, I care about you, I'm praying for you, I want you to succeed, well, that person they're speaking to has to know that they're being sincere, that they're being genuine. And everyone in here can say, you know, I've run into someone who said that they're praying for me, but once they left, I kind of doubted it, right? But not so for a deacon. A deacon is a man that is not double-tongued. He's a man who isn't sincere. He's a man who cares, who says, man, I'm going to pray. I'm going I'm I'm to serve and do these things, and he can be trusted to do that. So we've, first qualification, they're dignified. Second, they're sincere. Number three, third qualification is, well, it says not addicted to much wine. That's a good one, right? There's, there's some controversy about this qualification. Even in the Southern Baptist churches, there's, a qualif- there, there's some controversy here because um, some look at this and say, well, they kind of proof text it, but they, they say something like this, ha, ah, it says not much wine, so the implication is that they can have some wine, right? That's what they say. There's, it's problematic, that argument, for many reasons, but um, the main reason is this. This text, it's not about drinking alcohol. So you don't need to be going to it to support whatever reason you have for drinking alcohol. This text is about the qualifications of a deacon, all right? Paul is not primarily talking about alcohol here. Like he did not slip this into us so that we could be prohibited or about alcohol. That's not what he's talking about. The primary thing that the Apostle Paul is saying here is that a deacon is to be a man who has self-control. So we don't need to go in there and just pull this out. It's, it's an overarching thing, right? These are men who have self-controlled. They're not alcoholics. They're not gluttons. They're not drug abusers. They're not sloths. They are not men who are easily angered. They are sober-minded. These men have self-control. These are men that keep their life in check. These are men that we would all look at and say, these are men who keep their life in check. They are self-controlled, the deacons. We, we, we need not push too much into that text. There's other texts that speak quite mightily into those other issues. But that's not what we're here for tonight. Verse 4. I mean, 4. The fourth qualification. <laughs> this one's not greedy for dishonest gain. Right? Not greedy for dishonest This is a person who's not greedy. Right? Now, I would say this. It's not a problem to want financial gain. There's nothing wrong with working and getting compensation. It's not a sin to make money. But dishonest gain, that's the problem. The get quick, the quick get, get quick rich scheme, right? The scam, always trying to figure out how you can angle in your relationship with someone else so that you might be able to make money from them. See, guys like that are always looking at people as a way to make money and not a way to serve them. Once again, I'm sure you've run into gentlemen like this in your life. I remember when I was in seminary specifically, there was a guy, he was a, he was a, he was a student pastor in the city. And he was always trying to make money. Every time I was around him, he was trying to make money, trying to do something to make money. One day I was in class at seminary, and the dude, I'm not joking, he drives up in his truck. In the back of his truck, it is full with these gumball machines, okay? 
I go up to the dude. I go, man, what are all these gumball machines for? He goes, man, I'm going to make a fortune. I'm going to put all these gumball machines in these different locations, and I'm going to make a lot of money. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm pretty sure you got to have a permit for that, right? Like, you just don't drop these off, right? He's like, i got it figured out. I'll work it out. And then he said this to me. This was when we were preparing to go to the mission field. He goes, hey, listen, listen, Travis, come here, man. i got a deal for you. All right? You're going to the mission field. You're going to need to make money, too. And if you love your family and you want to take care of your family, you know what I'm going to do for I'm going to let you buy some of these from me. I'm like, dude, I do love my family, and I am going to take care of my family, and I'm going to do that by not giving you any of my money, right? <laughs> He's disqualified from the ministry. He's no longer in the ministry. All right? That's the truth. It leads somewhere. Deacons are not to be greedy for dishonest gain. It is no small defect in a person's character. That's the first four. Verse 9. It says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's the fifth qualification. I say you have to have an informed belief. Now, this is the main difference, main characteristic difference between the office of a pastor elder and that of a deacon. According to Timothy and Titus, a a, a pastor, an elder, must be able to teach, but a deacon does not need to be able to teach. Now, they can teach. I'm not saying they cannot teach. They're not prohibited from that, but they don't have to have that, that qualification. They just need to be good theologians. They need to love the Lord. They need to have a sound theology. They need to grasp the Bible. They've got to have personal convictions. They must be able to go to the text, read the text, and have a clear conscience in the way that they understand and teach theology. The sixth characteristic is found in verse 10. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves to be blameless. So six, they must be tested. They must be tested. You don't ever just throw a person in a position of leadership. It's a great mistake. It's a grave mistake. Many churches do that. Some churches do that. I remember when I was in Tanzania, I'm not going to go on the story, but we needed leaders, and there was this young dude, looked sharp, talked sharp, made him a leader quickly. Didn't turn out well. Didn't turn out well at all, man. Um, <laughs> he got thrown in jail. That's another story. All right? They got to be tested. Pastor Tony's already alluded to it that um, the men that we're ordaining and every single one of our deacons have been tested, right? They've been, they've been tested. Before Tony and I and the other pastors and before the other deacons, we talk to them and, and, and we test them. And then, now, I was thinking about this. You might think that's intimidating, perhaps, to go before Tony or me or whoever and, and have us test us. I test you. I don't think that's the, the, the scariest thing, the most intimidating thing. Last week, to me, would have been the most intimidating thing. Every one of our deacons had their name and their picture put on a sheet of paper and put in front of 4,000 people. And Pastor Tony said it, and I said it as well, in every service I was at, I said this. I said, if for any reason any of you know any of these guys and you think that they are disqualified from being a deacon, let us know. That's intimidating. That's intimidating. You start 
I don't know what the new deacons thought, but you might be thinking, did I cut someone off in the road? I mean, 4,000 people. At the end of the last service um, that I was at, um, it was at St. Elmo. Someone, man, it was the end of the week is long. This is the last time. And, but, and, and so at the end of the week, this, this guy comes up to me from the congregation. And he's got it. He's got this, 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 this thing in his hand of all the deacons. And I'm like, oh, no, not now. Just You're supposed to turn that in. Mark will call you, right? <laughs> he comes up to me. And he points to one of our, our deacons. I don't think he's here tonight. Um, but um, he points at him. He goes, you see this guy? And I'm like, yeah, I see that guy. He goes, I want to talk to you about him. I go, okay. He goes, that man led me to faith 20 years ago. I said, praise God. He's a deacon. <laughs> right? I got to tell you, I have the deepest love for our deacons. They are just wonderful men. Um, um, oh, okay, I just got to get this in real quick. I'm sorry. When it's my hospital day and whatever deacon I'm partnering with, if you call me, that I, I love it. Just letting you know ahead of time. You, we divide up these guys and conquer. I love you guys are such servants. I love you. Verse eleven. We get number seven. Um, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So seven. I just have helpmate there. All right. Um, the office of deacon. Um, is an important office, but also um, the wives have a part in it as the pastors. And, and the, we meet, and the other deacons, we meet with the wives and we talk to the wives. Paul is clearly saying here that a deacon must have a wife who is respectable and her respectability matches that of his own. The nature of marriage demands it to becoming one. A godly couple brings power to the ministry of the deacon. Eight. I think I, um, yeah, eight. I feel like I missed something. Oh, no, here we go. I'm sorry, eight. Um, have a strong domestic ministry. Um, verse 12, let me read that to you. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. We'll talk about this briefly. It is clear here in the Greek and really in the English as well. Literally, he is to be a one-woman man. No other woman is to have his affections, maritally, mentally, or emotionally. He must love her as he loves himself. This is the grand thing I say to all the men at Silverdale who are the married, and especially our deacons. We are men who love our wives ferociously. And deacons are called to that standard. In addition to being a one-woman man, the text says managing their children and their household well... Alongside of this is um, just domestic qualifications. That'd be a well-run household. So those are the eight qualifications that we see here. And I can say um, our deacons meet these eight qualifications. I can say these men that we're ordaining tonight do us well. Real quick, the problem, limited leaders. The solution, delegation. Who do we delegate to? Men who are dignified, men who are not double-tongued, men who are not addicted to much wine, men who are not greedy for dishonest gain, men who have an informed belief, men who have been tested, men who are well have a, a helpmate who also is dignified like him, and finally they have a strong domestic ministry.
Awesome. Thank you, Travis. Good stuff. This is what I want to do. The 12 minutes of being ordained tonight, I would like for you to stand and come forward up here. Um, Barry, Mark, Matt, Mike, Caleb, Brian, Christian, Dean, Dwight, Luke, Josh, and Nick. If you would just make your way up here and just stand straight up here. And what I want to do is you've just heard from Travis the biblical qualifications of a deacon. And I'm going to issue you a charge based on those verses. And if you are committed to obeying those verses after each charge, I would just like for you to say, I will. Okay? So men, will you live your life with integrity, abstain from addictive behavior, and be honest with your finances. Will you? Men, will you be committed to the faith of the gospel and follow God with a clear conscience? Will you? Men, will you be faithful to your wife and manage your children and household well? Will you? Men, will you serve with diligence this church family and carry out the responsibilities of a deacon of this church? Will you? Now, the Bible says if you'll do what you just pledged that you will do, you will have respect in this congregation and great confidence in your faith. I want to pray this declaration. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his authority, I now pray and declare these men to be set apart and commissioned for the work of a deacon. Lord, we now know and declare that they are called and now installed to this ministry in our church fellowship. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, I would like for you to have a seat here, and then if your spouses are here, if they would go ahead as well and join you. I know you've got to spread out a little bit. Um, if y'all just spread out, there you go. And ladies, if you'll just join them. We have a couple of things for you. Um, we have a certificate of your ordination and um, yeah, musical chairs here. And, um, and then also uh, we have a Bible that we're giving to each of you. And so um, the, um, the Bible is just our way of um, you know, saying to you, thank you for joining us in this ministry. And it is signed by all of our pastors and all of our deacons. So we just wanted to pass this out to, um, to each of you as well. Um, now, in the Bible, whenever um, deacons or pastors are set apart for ministry, the way that that is officially done is through, you know, the laying on of hands and praying over them. Now, I know that um, these men have asked individuals to um, pray specifically over them. And so if you've been asked by one of these deacons to, to be the person to come and pray over them, would you come, stand right now, and maybe join them either in front of them or kneel behind them or behind them or whatever you want to do. But I would just encourage if you could just come up at this time. <clears throat>
Awesome. Now, this is what I want to do, is I want to ask all the pastors and all the deacons here to go ahead and come around them as well. And um, we're all going to be joining around them and praying over them as well. And um, so let's just all gather around these um, new deacons. And so I'm just going to ask um, each of you that have been asked to pray over these individuals, if you can go ahead and just right now, go ahead and start praying over these individuals right now, if you could start doing that. And all of us as a congregation, we just in silent prayer be praying for them as well. Father, I am so thankful for the men and ladies that are here. Lord, you have um, raised them up. You have equipped them for this moment. And Lord, they probably do not feel worthy in a lot of ways. They don't feel personally qualified. But Lord, you have a way of qualifying us. In our weakness, you are strong. And Lord we realize that we're following this tradition that just like the apostles laid their hands on those first deacons through the centuries, the hands of authority has been passed from one generation to the next to where it is even now being passed to these 12 men and their spouses. The same authority and responsibility and power that you gave to the apostles, that was passed on to the deacons, Lord, is now being passed on to them. They have that authority in Christ. Lord, you will empower them to minister and love and encourage. Lord, you're going to use them to um, serve this congregation. And Lord, just like you brought unity in the first church, Lord, you will preserve the unity of this church. And Lord, the advancement of your name and fame is going to spread from this place into this city. And just like the church in Jerusalem doubled in size whenever they ordained deacons, we believe that you're going to do the same thing here. You're going to use them in supernatural ways to accomplish your purpose here. Thank you, Lord, 
for the principle of discipleship and delegation. And so we now release them with your authority and your power to do your supernatural ministry to this congregation. Bless them. Use them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's praise the Lord together. That is awesome stuff. Well, thank you for being here tonight. God bless you, and um, be safe driving home. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and apart, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.